Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 238. This episode is with the head of performance at Charlotte FC, Adam Parr. Adam was actually on the podcast before, back in episode 119, which was in January of 2021. He was in an assistant S&C coach role at that time. So it was great to catch up with him on what led to the move to Charlotte. And also, anyone that follows the MLS will know that this is a new club. So we talked we talked about building a program from complete scratch. We've talked we've talked about practitioners going into clubs with essentially a blank slate, but this really was exactly that: new players, new staff, brand new team. So we talked about building a culture. How do you go about building a culture where there is no culture already? What are the first steps for that? And then a big part of this podcast, if anyone is in the fortunate position where they're able to design a facility um, or the build of a facility at your club, Adam went into great detail about all the plans that went into their brand new facility, which will be opening in very soon for the club, um, all the thought process behind it um, and what led to the, the final design. So... I'm sure you'll take plenty away from that if you're in a similar sort of position. We then talked about hiring staff, so hiring reserve team and academy staff to fit in line with the whole um, vision of the club. And then also some key considerations when preparing academy players for first team um, and what goes into that process as well. So I'm sure you're going to take plenty from this episode with Adam. Now, I did mention in the last episode that I was hoping that we'd have all the fine details of two upcoming events to announce in this podcast, but unfortunately, we're just short at that point. But what I would say is two dates for your diary are the 13th of June for a Northwest event and also the 4th of July for a Southern event. They're both going to be in the evening, 6 till 9 p.m. What I do promise is in the next episode, which is episode 239, we will have all the details of those events, including speakers and how to get tickets. So keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, keep an eye out over on social media because the announcement will drop on our Twitter, our Instagram first. Just before we get into it, a massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth teams, Gymshark, and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com. And make sure to use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and an effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Now, just on this point, I was actually speaking to uh, Dr. Warren Bradley the other day about how you describe the feeling of BFR and especially using the Hytro products to people that haven't used it before. And it it is quite tough. I do feel like you have to experience it. I did a 15-minute real low-intensity cycle the other day with the shorts on. And (laughs) I can't describe the feeling in my legs after it. It's like nothing you've done before. Um, Warren was saying that the way he describes it is the buildup of lactic acid, but you feel like You might get that for a few seconds or a few minutes if you're doing some sort of weight training normally. But 
with BFR, it can be extended. So you get that same feeling, you get so many benefits from it as well, but at lower resistance levels, so you're not lifting quite as heavy as what you would normally, um, but that feeling can stay around for such a long period of time. So I do recommend for you to go and check it out. I've had quite a lot of messages recently as well, since we started posting a little bit on the Instagram. Um, so make sure you check them out, hytro.com, or drop them an email and check out the products that they've got available. Also, a big thank you to Rezzle, doing some great work in the world of VR. They recently posted about the work they're doing with LA Galaxy, um, and the Galaxy have got, um, they've implemented all the technology into their everyday training, including the use of Rezzle on the Meta MetaQuest Gaming. So go and check out the stuff that have been posting with the LA Galaxy and many other clubs as well, um, and search at Rezzle over on socials. Give them a follow and give them some support. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 238. I'm delighted to welcome back onto the podcast. It's been a fair amount of time since your last appearance, Adam, hasn't it? Adam Parr, welcome back. And thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a couple of years, but I'm really excited to kind of dive into what we're going to be discussing today. It's been a couple of years, but there's been a hell of a change for yourself and in terms of role and everything that's been going on, which we'll get into in a little bit. When we previously spoke, I'm pretty sure you were in an assistant strength conditioning coach role. Now, as a head of performance um, at Charlotte FC, which we'll get into in a little bit, I know in the previous episode, which was actually episode 119, that was back in January 21, so there's all sorts of chaos in the world going on at that point. Um, But you'd give a little bit of background on that episode. But Can you do the same on this one and also take us into the move from your previous role to your current role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so background and career for the most part, did my undergrad at San Diego State. Um, anyone who's in the States knows, uh, you know, our basketball team made it all the way to the national championship this year. Unfortunately, we came up short, but uh, it was a good run. Um, so have a really good kinesiology program there. And so got my undergrad in kines. And then shortly after that, wound up going up to LA. And I was, I started with uh, an internship with Exos now. Uh, back then, it was core performance. That's how old and dated I am. Uh, <laughs> and back then, there was only, I believe, three locations. There was one core performance and two athletes performance locations, One, uh, another one in LA and another one in Phoenix. And obviously, now they're all over the world. Um, so that is kind of where I started the, my performance journey, because um, initially, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist uh, when I was doing my undergrad and go to PT school. Kind of changed and pivoted, decided I wanted to, you know, prevent athletes from getting injured as opposed to maybe being on the rehab side and really formed my methodology there. And during my internship, got to be around a lot of really fantastic people and, and got to meet Mark Verstegen uh, once or twice when he came through and all of the top brass of, of Exos. And um, after I was done there, wound up being in a sports medicine clinic in, in the Beverly Hills area for a little bit. And just by happenstance, my boss at the time, his best friend was the head athletic trainer for one of the major league soccer teams um, in LA. And it was Chivas USA, which uh, if people know, they do not exist anymore. Um, they were basically bought, folded for a few years and then rebranded as LAFC, who are the current reigning champion. So um, I was there, went on board as a, as a sports science intern, um, met with uh, Jim Liston, who was the head strength coach there. And, you know, basically he put it to me and said, you know, I've got this heart rate monitoring program and I've been running it with the um, team for a few months, haven't really had the time to dive into the data and look and see and make it actionable and whether or not it's worth what we're doing. So, you know, as an intern, I'm, I'm giving you basically a month to figure out how to run this thing, make it actionable for us uh, and something I can use to report to the coaches. Otherwise, you know, I don't need you around basically because he wasn't a fan of interns to begin with. And I want to be in there for a year and a half. So finished out that time. And, and that program was um, the Polar Team 2 system because um, this is back in, 
in, I want to say 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. So, I mean, GPS hadn't even hit the States yet as far as, um, you know, how it is now. Um, and it was still in its infancy, especially in MLS, there wasn't too much going on. Everyone was using heart rate stuff. So that was my first kind of exposure to any sports science per se, um, because my undergrad had just been in Kines and, and all the exercise science and movement um, type of stuff and really fell in love with a lot of it. Uh, wound up staying on the rest of that season as the intern and then became Jim's uh, assistant um, part-time the next year. And then, you know, as happens in football all the time, you know, at the end of that season, um, a new owner bought the team and basically got rid of the whole coaching staff. And so, you know, that meant that I was no longer going to be uh, there as well. Luckily, Jim is the owner of a large um, sports performance center that has multiple locations across the country and the headquarters is in Pasadena, California. And so he uh, basically said, why don't you come and continue doing this work for me with some of the academy teams that we work with and then some colleges as well. Um, and so um, I continued to kind of do the heart rate monitoring with the team two system. We got some other teams on it and I was doing that and also a performance coach and also, at the same time, I started my own business uh, as a fitness and uh, performance coach in Beverly Hills area, um, training private clients anywhere from, you know, um, stay at home moms to, you know, athletes in their off season and youth athletes and college and everything in between. Um, and so it was kind of doing both of those part time and Jim and the other coaching staff from Chivas wound up getting the the gigs up in Toronto at Toronto FC. And he started the sports science uh department up there, but didn't have a full-time position, uh, for me. And King was honest and just said, you know, not going to have you move halfway across the country, uh, for a part-time position right now, uh, for what we were doing. And he had another strength coach that he was going to bring in as his head strength coach, who, um, was Tom Williams, uh, from, he was at Leicester, uh, back then. And so kind of just stayed at his place in Pasadena and, and then continued to build out my own, um, private clientele and kind of really focused on that for a while, but all the while was, really wanting to get back in the team setting, um, kind of really missed it and missed a lot of the sports science stuff and um, stumbled across through uh, some contacts that I had and some people I was working with, the Master of High Performance Sport program at Australian Catholic University and kind of looked at it a lot and realized that it was everything that I was interested in as far as kind of combining the performance and the sports science and the data. Um, and I was just running my, my private company at the time and it was great. And I was working along some, some really alongside some really amazing coaches. Um, Brett Bartholomew was, was training out of the same facility I was at. Ben Bruno was there. Um, Natalie Kolar is a people follow Exos, uh, who's high up there now. She was, you know, training there for a bit too. And it was great, but really, really wanted to be in a team setting and decided to kind of dive into that master's program as a way to, you know, level up my knowledge on the years I'd missed and through some connections and, some people that I'd worked with at Chivas USA who had moved on and were now at um, the head athletic trainer at San Jose Earthquakes in MLS. Um, he basically said, we'd love to have you come on board uh, and do your in capstone internship uh, as our kind of sports scientist. And we were in discussions and they had a an affiliate team, basically like a under 23 reserves um, that was based out of Reno, Nevada, um, and playing in a lower league, like basically the second tier here, the USL championship. And they basically said, we don't have a strength coach or a sports scientist, you know, on board there. So you can go there and basically run a department as your internship, so to speak, for, for the, you know, a few months of the end of the season. And then basically, as long as you don't screw it up, like we're going to offer the, the role the whole full time, you know, because we need someone there full time who knows what they're doing. Um, and so I, I jumped at the chance. I was ready to leave L.A. and, you know, packed my bags and moved up to Reno, um, which was a wonderful time for me because obviously it was the second division. So not as much pressure. And I was also doing my master's uh, program at the same time. So I was literally studying at night and apply what I was learning the very next day. Um, and we had a lot of players who were young, kind of, you know, homegrowns that had come up or academy type players that had moved up or younger players, you know, to try and see who we could filter up to the first team. So I could kind of experiment a little bit more than you can at the first team level. Um, and so I really got to, you know, figure out exactly how I wanted to do things. Um, you know, if I'm running my own uh, program uh, from a performance standpoint, from um, the sports science, you know, the data, like the coaching reports, everything that you could think of, because I was a one man band and was there for two seasons and um, wound up moving on from there and became the assistant performance specialist with uh, Minnesota United in MLS. So kind of got back to the first team level and was there 
couple months, uh, moved there in January, 2020 and halfway across the country, somewhere I didn't know anybody. And then all of a sudden, you know, COVID happened and, you know, we're locked down basically. And, um, that was a interesting and, and, and challenging time because I was at the time I was just responsible for the strength programming and we couldn't be in the gym at all. Even when we started up with the training sessions and the, the individuals and the small groups and stuff like that outside the state of Minnesota didn't allow you to be indoors for anything at all. So I couldn't even come to the sessions. Um, and so I was doing zoom workouts three times a week with the players, you know, and then writing up their programs for them to do based on whatever they had available, because some of them couldn't go in their own apartment gyms because of the state regulations and things like that. So it was all body weight. It was, it was crazy. Um, and then once the league decided that they were going to come back uh, out of COVID and, and start back up again, my boss, who was the head of fitness and rehab, decided to leave the club and we had actually lost our sports scientists right before um, the start of the season to another team. And we were in the process of looking for somebody when COVID happened and everything shut down. So club came to me and basically said, can you do all three jobs for right now? Um, we were going in MLS. When we started back up, we went and did a tournament in a bubble in Orlando. Um, and so they just said, you know, for the, for the bubble, you know, for however long we're there, like you'll do all three jobs then we'll reassess after that and see what we can do. Um, and obviously I'd done all that in Reno. So I said, yeah, of course, you know, this is my time to shine hopefully and, and prove myself at this level. And we wound up going to the bubble and did, did really well, made it to this, uh, to the semifinal. And, you know, I think, uh, we set some good foundations there. And then, so when we came out of it, the club said, you know, we're just going to have you continue on doing all three because, you know, we, we don't have the budget, uh, right now to hire anybody on cause we're on a freeze. So continued on the rest of 2020, doing all three roles um, as basically the head fitness, head strength coach, and then head sports scientist, um, which was insane because the fixture congestion was unlike anything we've ever seen before, obviously. Um, but it was also really good for me to prove to myself that I could, you know, I belonged at this level, um, I think, and also to coaches, players, other staff, et cetera. And we had a, a great run, again, made it to the semifinal of MLS playoffs and and really should have been in the final. Um, I think we were up two goals uh, with like, you know, 10 minutes left, 15 minutes left, um, and wound up losing 3-2 in extra time, or in, in um, stoppage time. And so that was a bit of a, a gut punch, but it was a great experience. And then um, the following year, uh, stayed on, and we actually brought, um, the, the, team, the club brought over Damian Roden, um, who had been over at Andalus, he'd been at um, CL Sounders here uh, to be like the high performance director. And I stayed on as the hybrid strength coach and sports scientist. Um, but the Damien and, and the coaches didn't, didn't necessarily see eye to eye on a lot of things. And there was a lot of pushback from the club on some stuff. And um, he wound up leaving about four or five months in. And um, so they kind of turned to me again and said, okay, for the rest of the season, you're going to, you're going to run the show again and be the the one man band. So did that again through 2021. Um, you know, we made play playoffs again early exit that year but it was still you know a, a decent year and all in that time you know um i had been named head of strength conditioning at minnesota united uh in that process and you know was uh, looking for something a little bit more um to kind of challenge me and i got a call from my current boss at charlotte fc who he was at the portland timbers at the time and he basically just said hey i'm going to charlotte as the director of performance for science medicine um i need somebody who can fill a hybrid role of the strength coach and sports scientists and you know i'm asking around and you're the name that keeps coming up so let me tell you about this project and because we had actually never really met and so he just said let me tell you about this project and, and see if you'd be interested in coming and the more we were discussing it the more interesting it was for myself and, and my wife who at the time was just my girlfriend um and it just seemed like an opportunity to go to pass up uh, as far as the role but also getting to be with a club from day one because it was an expansion club so for for any listeners who don't realize that, like we still have teams in MLS who are starting from square one. We're still adding teams uh, as the league grows. And so, I mean, it was literally you're starting year one and get to kind of build whatever foundations and culture and everything that you want. Um, and so that was kind of too good of an opportunity to pass up to, to be a part of that because I felt like I may not ever get this chance again. Um, came on board as the performance specialist, like I said, kind of a dual role. Um, and then shortly within a few months the head coach who was who was the initial head coach and his head fitness coach and their coaching staff were let go um due to some other things and um, i basically assumed 
the same thing I'd done previously where I was running everything on the performance side. I, obviously I had my boss overlooking things. Um, but you know, I was the one performance coach who was really on staff and, and running all of that. And then we were able to bring an assistant on for a little bit at the end of last year. And then in the off season was promoted to head of performance, um, and kind of now really building out the foundations for the performance department, uh, for the top down, you know, at multiple levels and kind of building that out from, from here on out and including a new facility that's coming online in a couple months and, and, and all sorts of, you know, fun projects that go along with it. So it's been, uh, it's been quite the, the ride. Um, sorry for rambling a bit, but I just realized I've had so many different turns and directions and, um, it's, it's, it has been a ride since we last spoke. No, it's a brilliant breakdown Adam, of, of, um, even previously before we spoke the, the career so far, and there's plenty of takeaways even from that for the listeners. Um, I wanted to tap into currently what you've got going on, but also what you've done recently. And I think one of the first things is, obviously we've talked about on the podcast before practitioners around building the program from scratch and not being much in place, but they might have done little bits before. We are talking from complete scratch now. And one area I wanted to start on is building a culture because a lot of cultures come from time, don't they? They come from habits and, and daily habits that you're doing day on day that, that players get to learn, coaches get to learn. How did you go about that? And what were some of the considerations that you wanted to put in place from day one that you knew was going to create or help to create the culture that you wanted? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for for me also, it, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced as far as the challenge, because you think about it, um, again, starting from square one, for most of us, for, as a staff, most of us had never worked together. You know, one of our um, physios or athletic trainers had worked with me at Minnesota United, so we had a little bit of a, a history together. Um, but everyone else was brand new, including coaches to each other and also to, you know, the rest of the staff from the medical and performance side. But then you got to think about it, all of the players are brand new to each other too. So you got 30 players coming in out of nowhere from all over the world, and now all of a sudden they have to be a cohesive unit, right? And, um, so it's just, it was just a huge challenge from, from all different angles. Um, and I think for myself and for the rest of kind of our staff and, and my boss, John, um, our number one thing was so like, how can we create buy-in, um, to what we're doing? And it was, it was challenging at first because we were hired separately from with the head coach and his head fitness coach and, and a couple of their coaching staff. Um, and so his head fitness coach and the head, and the head coach had a very different philosophy on performance than we did. You know, they didn't really want the guys in the gym much. They didn't really want, like, they didn't believe in the physical aspect. It was all technical, tactical, all this other stuff. And, you know, we were trying to educate them. They had never coached in MLS before. Um, and we were trying to educate them on the fact that like, it's a very physical league, right. Um, not just in the tackles and things like that, but it's very much speed power, you know, um, and work rate, things like that. And it, it was a little bit of butting heads for a while, trying to educate them on, on all of the physical aspects, the things that we needed to do. And we had a lot of players who had played in the league and come from various teams who were coming to us during preseason and stuff saying like, Hey, I don't feel like I'm going to be prepared. I need to do extra with you guys. I need to do extra gym sessions. I need to do this. Um, and so trying to find our role in that without, you know, undermining what the coach and his head fitness coach had in mind, but also wanting to make sure that the players were prepared and also that we were, can, you know, going to keep them at a decreased risk of injury once the season started. And so we started looking at kind of small victories. What are the things that we can do? How can we um, first off convince the head fitness coach and, other, and, and various other parties that we need to do this before training? We, you know, we need, there are certain strength and power things we need to do after training when we have access to the gym we needed to do certain things on the conditioning side. We need, you know, and just how can we build in, how can we ask questions to get them to think about it and, and convince them and show them, you know, data research, et cetera, from that side, you know, and we started looking at small victories on what we could do there, but also with the players, it was, what are the small victories? What are the minimal effective doses we can do for certain things like getting them in just for testing, you know, and then educating them on why it's important and then and why, you know, they're testing, you know, from readiness or performance testing, certain values are shown like why they, we need to increase, you know, doing stuff in the gym because we need to get them above minimum thresholds that we show, you know, risk for injury. And what are things we can do before training for prehab exercises? And, you know, can we do some movement prep before training? Like just little things like that. 
that we start stacking on top of each other once we kind of have a little more buy-in, a little more buy-in, a little more buy-in. Because um, we had we had a very heavily um, South American roster um, based on the preference of the coach. And a, a lot of those guys had been at, you know, clubs where they didn't really have access to a lot of things from the physical side. And so we had very low training ages of guys in the gym or even doing a lot of the physical um, capacity work. And so really trying to start at the lowest level that we could for certain players and build them up while also meeting other guys where they are and continue to build them up, you know, kind of systematically along the same line. And, you know, one guy may be totally bought in on this and we don't need to worry about it, but there may be three other guys that aren't. So how do we educate them to get them doing this at least so that next we can go here and then next we can go here. And so I think that was kind of how we started to row the boat in the same direction, I think, and get, the head fitness coach and, and the rest of the staff on board with that. And I think we started to turn things around and, and really kind of push things in the same direction. Um, and then once the head coach and, and his staff were, were let go um, about four months in the season and we took over everything solely on the performance side, I was like, okay, well now we've already been putting these little things in place. So the players are used to it. They're bought in on these things how do we make sure that we're, we button up and we do these things really, really well, but then what are the additional things that we want to add that we know in our hearts and based on research and experience, like we know we need to be doing these more often, better on a more consistent basis, whatever it is to add to those things, to bulletproof these players so that they're more resilient, more robust, they're stronger, they're more, more powerful. They can withstand the demands of their position, the game, et cetera. Um, and so then we were able to kind of layer stuff on top of each other for the rest of the season and really, um, have an effective overall, uh, physical development program for all of the players. Well, what were those things, Adam? So I think the main thing was, um, at least initially what, again, just, just doing our testing on a regular basis. Uh, we did, we do weekly readiness tests, uh, obviously, you know, there's a million things out there in research about different tests you can do, but we like to do, you know, counter movement jump, looking at, um, you know, neuromuscular fatigue on plus three ish uh, for the most part, depending on the week, um, looking at RSI and things like that. But then we're also looking at stuff on the back end from a performance standpoint, as far as uh, eccentric break in RFD, concentric RFD impulse, things like that. So that we know, you know, if we see longitudinally things are starting to drop, okay, well, how do we address that? Or how do we work on that, you know, in the gym, um, and getting by from the guys that way, but then looking at hamstring readiness, um, on the, on our minus threes where we know we're going to do sprint prep and sprint work and high speed running and things like that. And, and also our adductors and abductors in, in the groin bar force frame on, on, um, plus threes as well, minus fours and just getting guys used to doing that and then educating them why, and then showing them the data and saying, okay, this is why after training on minus fours and minus threes, when we have our mandatory gym sessions, this is why we're focusing on this. And this is why we're focusing on this. We need to improve you here. We need to improve you there. And then as guys are starting to see their numbers go up and correspondingly at times say like, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling stronger. I feel this, or I'm getting faster, things like that. Like the light bulb starts to go off for them. They're like, Oh, all these things that they're putting in place for me, they're all connected and they're all to help me, you know, perform better stay healthy and stay available. Right. And so I think it was us just connecting those dots and then also having layering in stuff like, you know, prehab exercises that focus on specific individual things for the players that they need based on their injury history and whatnot, um, or their position, but also, you know, having it a link and align with what the demands are going to be that day. It's going to be a small space day, you know, and a lot of change of direction probably not going to be doing as much focus on posterior chain hamstring stuff, depending on the guy, because we're not going to be asking them to sprint, um, you know, on a, get a lot of volume of sprinting or, or even close to maximally. Whereas the next day we might be focusing a little bit more on that from their prehab exercises. And then that links to the tests that we do for the hamstrings and then the warm up, and then the actual session. And then after training, we do posterior chain stuff. And so they start to see all of those things build and they're all kind of linked and I think the more we educated them on that, the the more they understood and thought, oh, okay, like one, these guys know what they're doing. Like it's not just willy nilly all over the place. And also two, they're paying attention to the data and what we're telling them and what they're seeing to try and correct it, to keep me on the field and available for selection and hopefully performing well. Yeah, hundred percent. Just tying in with that as well, with how you've designed the program and then the testing, everything you've just mentioned, 
comes what you referenced before was the new facility. So you've created this program, you've made the additions to it, then comes the design. I'm sure there's a, a points that has come before that, but what I wanted to cover is some of the priorities that you had in mind from the program to the actual physical design of the um, of the facility. So what were some initial priorities for you? And then also maybe some of the challenges, some of the changes that you had to make along the process. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the thing that was first and foremost on our minds between myself and my boss, um, who were the ones who really dove into designing this, number one was how much space can we have? You know, and so I reached out to a lot of people around Major League Soccer who, because there's a lot of teams here who have had recent new facilities built in the last five years or so, whether it's new teams like expansion teams like us coming online or existing teams that just had updates or brand new facilities made. And I reached out to a lot of a lot of my counterparts and just said, hey, you know, what are the two or three things you wish you had done differently, you know, and now that you know what you know. And the number one thing that every single person said was, I wish we had more space. I wish we had more space. I wish we had more space. Right. And so that was kind of the number one thing is we we wanted to go to bat with everybody, you know, who was making the decisions on the facility and who was going to be placed there and how much space and how it was going to be look was, you know, we need to have X amount of space. And we knew it was going to get cut down. Like that's just the way it is right with any sort of construction project. So we started out asking for almost double what we wanted, right. <laughs> or what we, what we felt like was a minimum, um, that we should, that we would be acceptable, um, or accept. And so we were asking for, you know, 4,500 to 5,000 square feet. Um, and, <laughs> you know, we knew that that wasn't going to happen, but we said, you know, Hey, if it comes anywhere close to that, we're going to be feeling fantastic. Right. Um, and so that was the, that was the thing that we were pushing for. And we wound up, you know, after all of the cuts and the changes and everything, with about 2,900. Um, so it's still a, a very decent size space. Um, and then once we kind of had that solidified, it was, okay, looking at the plans, what are the dimensions of the room? Okay. And then the, the next thing was, what is the flow that we're looking for, you know, and, and that allows us to achieve what we want to do? you know, with the program that we I talked about earlier, our daily, you know, kind of flow, what allows us to achieve that best. Um, and so we started looking at things and it was, okay, number one, the gym is connected to the physio room, right? There's just a little hallway, but the guys can walk straight, you know, to and from. So it's not disconnected um, because we want like our, our medical staff is very much, you know, exercise based. Right. And so, we want guys going from there into the gym and vice versa, you know, and, and have it all be kind of one thing. And then <clears throat> the the next was in an ideal world, how do we want things set up? You know, if we're looking at, we, we believe in lifting, right? We believe in strength and power and speed being a, a significant part of our physical development program, no matter what age you are, how, what's the best way we can achieve that so that we have a good flow. Um, and also we're not, asking guys to be there for forever because they're all waiting for the same thing, you know, just little things that you run into. And so what my idea was is taking it kind of from the college football realm where a lot of times, you know, they'll have basically the position groups, you know, kind of lift together. Right. And be, you know, they'll have 20 racks because there's so many, you know, players with college football, but they'll have a group of four or five who are the same position. They're lifting together. Right. And then maybe, you know, one, one strength coach is, is responsible for a couple of different groups. My idea was, okay, let's do that. Not necessarily by um, linking players who are in position groups, but let's have groups of three to four players who are basically at the same station, you know, the whole time, right? So we need to have everything available at each one of these stations. So they're not moving all over the place. And, you know, basically we need to make it very time efficient. If they're going to walk right off the pitch and then change into their runners and and then basically go, get into the lift, what's going to allow them to be the most efficient with their time um, so they can get their work done and then also go do whatever else they need to do for fueling, recovery, et cetera. And so we wound up uh, going with uh, four, what they call double half racks from play. Um, we have play doing our whole facility basically. And so there, it's basically two racks, you know, one on either side. And so that allows us to have eight stations. So if we split up, you know, our, um, excuse me, our roster, that's eight groups, four players, you know, some might have three. 
And so some of them might be the same position group, but others may not. It's more let's link, let's let's put them together into groups based on what their needs are and what their lifting programs are, right? Um, so there there may be a forward and a central defender who need the same thing and are kind of doing a similar program. And so like, like let's link them and, and put them in so that they're using the same stuff. Um, but it was really just how can we group guys together and then everything is at the rack that they need with all the extensions, everything. Then we have power blocks um, behind them, you know, at a station. So they need that, a bench, everything. So they can literally stay at that station for the entire lift. Other than we have some Kaisers out on an open, uh, open space. We have six Kaisers for them to use uh, for any of the cable stuff. But the goal was let's get them together and have them lift together so that they're, you know, again, being efficient with their time, but then also it helps to kind of build a little camaraderie, you know, because they're they're they become, this is their lifting group for the season. Right. Or if they, we change it later on, like, but they are doing stuff off the pitch with these guys that maybe aren't the ones that they necessarily hang out with, you know, outside of the, the facility as well. And then it was, okay, what else can we add to it? What do we want? And we're big believers in VBT. So we are putting a perch VBT device at every single station. So we'll have eight of those. And so between that and then also we have Bridge Athletic that delivers all the programs to their phones or iPads on each rack. We're basically going to have a, a perch, a tablet, and then an iPad with the Bridge program. So the players will be able to walk right up, click start on both, and it'll tell them. And they're just going to go through their program all right there, the three or four of them together, you know, and it'll be very efficient. They're all doing similar stuff for the most part. Um, some things might be a little bit different individually based on their needs or their position group, but then they get through it and then they can continue on to the next phase. And then, so that was kind of how we want to design it from the lifting standpoint. And then we also wanted to make sure that we had enough open space for a lot of functional things, uh, obviously the Kaisers, but you know, we do a lot of, we have the guys do individual prehab programs every day. Um, and then also we do a team kind of movement prep session together, um, before they go on the pitch. And so for us, the additional thing with that, with the movement prep and also for some of the rehab and return to play stuff was we wanted to have a, a big turf space, but we didn't necessarily want it to be in the middle of the facility or on the side, like it is, you know, in a lot of places because we just felt like that would take away a lot of space. And so we talked to the architects and, and our facilities manager, and we decided to put it outside just along the side of the building. Um, and there's going to be an overhang, so it protects a little bit from the weather. But we'll have roll-up doors so the guys can walk right out on the turf and they can do the entire movement prep out there. Or if we're doing any, you know, sprint mechanics or acceleration mechanics or anything like that, if we want to be getting a 1080, like who who knows? But it's right there outside the facility, so it's almost like an extension. And that is another 1,000 square feet. Um, and so it's long. It's about, I want to say it's 10, 12, 12 wide by about 75 feet long so it's a it's a large area and so we kind of add that to it and then it's like okay well now we have about four thousand square feet total um so that allows us to open up the rest of the facility a little bit so we can have some of our cardio stuff but then some functional space we decided we wanted to get an altitude chamber um to help especially in the return to play process um and then on top of that all of the testing that we do that I was talking about earlier in one of the corners of the gym we are we're going to have it be our testing area where all the testing equipment is set up. So we've got two force frames. We've got two force decks. Um, we've got a Nord board, you know, a couple other things. And then we actually are going to have motion capture around that as well. And that way everything is right there. And so whether it's us, the reserve team, the Academy, if they need to do any testing or anything like that, it's, it's all right there, easily accessible so we can get it done and we can have a part of their morning routine. Uh, and so that was kind of another thing that we wanted to have is everything in the facility, in the gym, at your fingertips, so that you can just go from one thing to the next to the next, whether it was before training, movement prep, or after training during the strength and, and power sessions. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. I just wanted to point out some upcoming content we've got coming soon on our online community. So we've got some presentations coming on the readiness to perform and the return to play process, both from our recent event at Bristol City. We've also got a strength and power development presentation coming soon as well. And we also have webinars coming soon on tactical periodization, career periodization, and also speed development, as well as a lot of other content too. So make sure you go and check it out. If you're already a member, just log in and check out some of the recent uploads that we've posted. 
If you're not already a member, you can check out the community and connect with coaches from right around the world by going to footballfitfed.com and clicking the community tab, signing up there. That'll give you a free month to check it out. After your free month, it turns into a paid month-to-month rolling contract and you also get the chance to connect with coaches around the world on our WhatsApp group, which you get access to once you become a full member. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Adam Parr. I can hear the jealousy from a lot of coaches, Adam, on that are working, <laughs> working in facilities. Not quite the same, but... Yeah. I feel like one of the main things to take away from that, obviously, that that's the facility sounds incredible, and you it sounds like you've done a great job as well, creating that space. That's what a lot of people chase, isn't it? But also, the main thing I I think for coaches to take away from that is what you mentioned around the flow, and regardless of what the how big your space is, what equipment you've got, I think that's the most important thing to take into consideration, isn't it? What what's the session going to look like? Where are the bodies going to be? What's what's the pattern in terms of where people go? Where that's that's most important, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think I, I took a lot of lessons from my previous stops. Um, you know, we didn't have a thing that was anywhere near that big in, in Minnesota United, but I was able to create kind of a flow. You know, that where they go from one to the next to the next throughout the whole uh, lift each time we did that. And and to be honest, when I was in Reno, I mean, our gym was about two broom cupboards combined, you know? And so it was really about the flow and the timing and how do I get a group of athletes to come through, get their stuff done efficiently. And then the next group comes in and then the next group comes in. And, you know, so I think every stop I've had in the, in the past has allowed me to understand how important that flow is and the timing of things. And um, I think I've been able to put it to good use as far as the design of this and i'm really excited we're opening it you know hopefully end of june-ish um is as long as there's no delays and um I, I can't wait to get in there the first day and just kind of look at it and watch as our players come in and say you know like their reactions but also just how it all works together and how much more efficient they'll be with their time um and i think it, it, it's going to pay a lot of dividends for you know years yeah, definitely. And then, like you said before about creating that buy-in, you've worked on that already with what's been done previously, but then adding this layer on top of it, which is a big layer, is is massive, isn't it? Players are going to enjoy coming in. It ties in with what I spoke about with Andreas Beck in a couple of episodes ago about their facility over at Frankfurt. Um, players enjoying coming into, into the facility and getting the work done as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think... That that's kind of our goal too, and we're adding we're adding a few uh, uh, special pieces and touches um, to to some of the walls and some of the other you know accents on some things that players are not really that privy of right now, other than a few who are involved in the process. That I think um, is going to touch on that as well, where they're going to walk in the first day and 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 look around and say, oh wow, like I want to come in here every single day to be in yeah. this environment, and that's that's our goal. The more that they want to be a part of it, and the more they want to do the work, you know, again our whole thing is keep them healthy, available and performing at their, at their best. Right. And so the more that they're coming and doing that work, the, the better we're going to be equipped to keep them in those three buckets. Yeah. A hundred percent. I could talk about the facility stuff all day, but we'll move on a little bit. Adam, yeah. Cause I want to touch on, you mentioned before about um, your role now, head of performance, but also the creation of the reserve team, the Academy all feeding into the first team. And from that, obviously, that includes hires in terms of reserve team, head of performance or strength conditioning coach, sports scientist, whatever their role is, and also academy. So I was going to ask, what were some key considerations or traits you were looking for in those people to go into those roles? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. I think for us, it it is interesting. It's kind of unique. We, our club, started its academy a year before um, the MLS team started, right? So once, once it was announced and the owner bought the rights and, um, the process had begun as far as the first team coming into MLS, they started the Academy the year before that, just to get a jump on things. Um, and so this is year two of the club and, but year three of the Academy. And so they had a, a performance coach, uh, one who was, you know, working with the Academy before we even got here. Um, and so when they, 
we announced the reserve team, which competes in the, in the new league for MLS called uh, MLS next pro. Um, and it's, it's kind of like an under 23 team under 21 team. Um, the club was, was very, you know, confident and, and wanted to basically promote the Academy performance coach up to the reserve team because he had been here from the beginning and they felt like he, he deserved the opportunity. And, and we agreed, you know, we wanted to give him that opportunity to grow within the club. Um, and this is the next step up. And he had had a little bit of experience with, uh, with the reserve team in, in Seattle for a bit before coming to the Academy here. And so that part was easy for us because we already had him in place and it was okay. We're going to, we're going to bump him up to the reserve team and give him more responsibility uh, with, you know, true professionals and also more room to learn and grow. Um, and then it was, okay, we're, how are we hiring for the Academy? And for us, it was, we wanted somebody who had the experience, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of places around that, you know, the Academy hires will be, you know, fresh green right out of university or, you know, wherever it is. Um, but we wanted somebody who had experience coaching because they are for us, at least right now, they're the only performance coach that works with the Academy. You know, we're hoping to, to bring others on in, in the near future. Um, but we wanted somebody who had the experience of, of coaching, but also coaching youth athletes. Right. Um, because it's a whole other can of worms. And for us, not only did we want them to have that, ex that experience coaching youth athletes, we really were looking for somebody who that was their passion. Um, because, you know, there, there's too many people and too many interviews and things that we've gone through. Um, you know, our field is, everyone is trying to move up the ladder, right? That's just the way it goes. And there was just too many, too many times where you're, you're speaking to somebody and you could just see that their intentions are okay. If I'm here a year or two, then I can move up to this, then I can move up to this. And we wanted somebody who wanted to grow with the Academy and really be the head of performance for the Academy, so to speak, uh, and continue to develop it and, and really enjoy being in that space because that passion will, will serve those players um, so much more than somebody who's just looking to, to get to the next level. And so we were lucky and blessed that the person that we have now, um, Jamie Blair, he ticked all those boxes. He had plenty of experience working with youth, youth athletes, but he was incredibly passionate about it. And that that's something that he loves to do. Um, and it, it drives a lot of what he is as, as an employee and as a colleague, but in general, you can just tell, and, and the players respond to him really well. And so for us, it was a win-win when we, when we came across him um, and he was interested and he was already actually in the Charlotte area, which is fantastic. And, um, so he's been great. And he's also somebody that obviously like, I, I always would like to have in mind when we're hiring people, like I want to be able to move them up the ladder. I want somebody to grow within the club and continue, um, because I think that that will pay a lot of dividends in the future as the players move up that ladder as well, well having some consistency, but the fact that Jamie is so passionate about youth, the youth space, um, there's no, you can tell there's no, um, urgency on his part where he's saying like okay where do i go next where do i go next it's like no i'm looking at projects that i can put in place here at the academy and work on for the next two three four years to really build this out and help it be the best academy it possibly can be you know and so that that was that was kind of the main thing for us um and at every level including the uh, devin manifold who's our reserve team performance coach who had previously been in the academy it was also when we're putting people in place um, along with the, the strength conditioning coach that we hired this year, um, Pete Gorka, it's who, who are we coming across that is also willing to put the time in to build the foundations for the entire club. Right. Cause again, this is a unique opportunity where we're in year two and we're still, we're still building those foundations. We're still building out the frameworks. How do we do this? How do we do that? You know, procedures, policies, et cetera. It's not like you're just getting a a job at a existing club that's been around for however long and you come in and say, this is the way it's done. Okay. You know, I'm going to follow this and maybe make some tweaks here and there. It's no, like who wants to come in and really sink their teeth into this project and say, okay, we can build this, the foundation for this club. We want this club to be around for hundreds of years, you know, but we can be the foundation for the next three, four, five, ten 10 years until the next group comes in and build and builds upon that. And, um, so everybody that we've brought in and we've promoted up are people that want to be part of that and want to have that input and want to take the extra time on top of what they're doing with their current teams in their roles to meet and go over and work on those larger picture projects to really, you know, build things out in the performance space as best as we possibly can. 
I think it's a great point to bring up. And it's, again, something we've touched on before around academy roles. Because you mentioned before that a lot of clubs will, will put coaches in the roles as a, like a starting point in their careers. But essentially, that's the point of development for players, isn't it? Through, through yeah. academy ages. So having someone that's experienced, like you just mentioned, with a real passion, sometimes I feel personally, it can be a little bit of a waste to get them through to a first team level and take them away from working with players in that age group. So I, I think it's a great point to bring up. Yeah, I think that 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 was where we were coming from is, you know, and, and on top of the fact, like I said, he he's the only performance coach in that space. So we need somebody with the experience yeah. to know how to manage five teams at a time. Right. Um, and make sure that they're all, you know, getting what they need from a physical development standpoint. But um, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think in my in my experience and from my perspective, like putting the the inexperienced coaches in there just because it's the lowest level um, is not the way to go. I'd rather have them be an assistant to somebody else at, at a different level where they can learn from somebody instead of having to learn on the job while also you're the one touch point for that age group. You know, I think it, like you said, it can be a disservice at times. Yeah, brilliant. Adam, that's absolutely flown by. I can't believe we've done 40 odd minutes already. I'm just a, bit, a little bit wary on time because I wanted to get through the, the quick fire questions as well. But I've got to say, it's a really, it sounds like a really exciting time over there with everything you've done so far and also with the facility opening and all the rest of it. So I'll, I'll definitely be looking out for um, any sort of media that comes out with, it, with the facility and great work by the sounds of it on everything that's been done so far as well. Looking forward to seeing the players getting some work done in there. Um, we always finish with these now, mate. So the first one is, who would you say has been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Yeah, I think uh, I've mentioned a few of them. I think um, the first one for me is uh, Jim Liston, who he is now, I don't know, senior director of performance and innovation at LA Galaxy, something along those lines. Uh, but He's anybody who is here in the U.S. and, and anyone who's familiar with with MLS, he's just an absolute legend. He's been around in the league for 20 plus years at various clubs. And he was the um, strength conditioning coach, you know, head of performance type uh, when I was the intern at Chivas USA. And so he's the first one who gave me the chance in MLS, but also was he, the, the type of person he is, um, the type of rapport he has with the players. He really just taught me a lot about the relationships you have with the players and achieving the buy-in and things like that, but also how the league really works, you know, because I was only a few years out of my undergrad and as, as you know, and every, you know, everyone who works in the field knows, you know, they don't teach you a lot of the stuff that you actually need <laughs> to know uh, in, in your university courses. Right. So um, he kind of exposed me to a lot of that and, and how, how things work practically and, and, you know, all of that and kind of gave me my start and, he and I have been in touch, you know, all over the years. And every time whatever team he's with has come to play the, the team that I'm with, we always grab coffee, catch up. We always chat on the phone. You know, I, I'll give him a call when I uh, need, I'm seeking some mentorship advice, things like that. So he's, uh, he's definitely the first one that comes to mind um, to start my career. And then um, another one who may not be as well known uh, in, in the, to the broader audience, but even in the, in the U S is uh, his name is Ron Chanel. He's currently the, again, kind of high performance director at San Jose Earthquakes. And he was the head of performance at San Jose who brought me in um, based on the recommendation of, of a, another person who was the uh, head athletic trainer there. And he gave me the shot to get back into the team setting. And I was working in Reno um, and had calls with him every single week to catch up and basically, you know, report what's going on. And um, we had a lot of good conversations based on just, performance in general and, and the different things I was learning, but the different things that they're doing at San Jose and how to kind of mirror what they were doing because we were their reserve team. And uh, we just had a lot of really, really good conversations. And um, he wound up leaving there and becoming the head athletic trainer for the U S national team um, during this past world cup cycle. Um, and then now he's back at San Jose. And so he's just somebody who um, really had an impact as far as once I got back into um, the team setting and kind of a lot of the, way that I think nowadays uh, and, and some of the practice, the things that I put into practice, I would say um, just some good conversations there. And then another one who has been huge for me um, and I'm sure you'll know the name and anybody who's kind of affiliated with football, probably not a name is um, Darcy Norman. I've been super, super lucky and privileged to, to call him a mentor for the past, you know, 
four or five years. Um, it just happened that after he left AS Roma, um, he came back to the States and he was living in, uh, he's, he's living in Lake Tahoe, um, which is where he'd been living before he left to go to Europe. And, um, Reno is 35 minutes from where he lived uh, outside of Lake Tahoe and actually Ron connected us and said, Hey, you know, do you know who Dar Darcy Norman is? He said, absolutely. Obviously and he's like, well, he's, he's back in, in, um, Truckee, which is outside of Lake Tahoe. Uh, let me connect you guys and see if you guys can, can meet up. And, um, we just sat and grabbed a beer the first time and talked shop and had a, had an awesome conversation. And he invited his wife to come down to meet us and we had dinner and stuff. And it was just kind of like a, all right, well, while I'm here, you know, let's get together once a month or once every two months and just, you know, catch up and, you know, you can pick my brain, I can pick yours, all this other stuff. And, um, we just have continued that, you know, basically since then, obviously I've moved on, but he's been pretty influential, you know, cause I'm pretty sure he's one of the people who's put my name forward for several of the jobs that I've gotten. And, um, you know, obviously he was the head performance coach for the U S national team in the last world cup cycle and is now the head of performance for the national team now. And, um, but just, uh, he's somebody I can call at any time and just say, Hey, you know, can I pick your brain on this? Uh, I did it over the weekend with some other things and he's always happy to help and, um, has been a huge influence on looking at things differently and kind of giving me his, his experience and advice from what he's done at Bayern Munich or the German national team or AS Roma or with the U S and, um, so it's, it's somebody that I know I can always kind of lean on, like I said, with, with Jim Liston before uh, to just ask for advice or bounce ideas off of. Um, so I think those are the the biggest three um, for me as far as who have influenced my career. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is, Adam, as a practitioner? Uh, I, it's a good question. I think my adaptability, I would say, um, obviously with <laughs> the background and career that I went over earlier, there's been a lot of times where it's just kind of like, all right, you got to do everything or you got to do this and that. And like, you have to wear multiple hats. Right. And um, I know for a while the industry kind of went in the direction of, you know, being a specialist and being kind of staying in your lane. And um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you can, you, you need to have expertise in a certain area, but you also need to be able to um, kind of cover multiple areas and, and be sufficient and, and have some expertise in a lot of different areas and wear multiple hats and be a jack of all trades. And, um, that's going to serve you better. Um, even if you have experts in every single area in your club, you know, that it just allows you to communicate and, and converse with them more regularly and understand. Um, so I think for me, that's, that's my biggest strength is I'm always willing to learn from others or learn from other areas. But also if somebody says, Hey, we need you to do this, or can you pivot and do this on a dime? It's like, yep, I'll figure it out, you know? And, uh, and I've done a decent job so far, I think. So I think that's, that's kind of my biggest strength. Brilliant. If you were able to speak to Adam, maybe just coming out of university after your studies, what would be your top bit of career advice for yourself? I, I mean, I think number one is to never stop learning. It's cliche, but you know, and it doesn't always have to be exactly what you're in, like what you're working in, but to keep learning, keep, you know, kind of the brain going on something um, all throughout your life. And the other one for me, the biggest one is, um, be patient and don't rush the process. Mm. And that can be all different types of, of areas in your life, but especially for the career, I think I was very antsy and wanted to do this, wanted to do that. And like I said before, a lot of young coaches are kind of, how do I get here and there and there and there? And it's, it's more like, no, you know, for me, be patient, enjoy what you're doing, like really own that and don't rush the process because the next thing is going to, is going to come at some point, you know, whether that's the next role, the next team, the next player, the next, whatever it is, you know, it, I think if you just really sit and enjoy what you're doing, uh, that's where the good things happen. And when you try to rush the process, that's where mistakes are made or, you know, there winds up being issues, you know, down the line and things like that. Definitely. Final one, mate. What is your approach now? especially with everything you've had going on recently with CPD, continued development, continually progressing as a practitioner? Yeah, I think my it's changed for me over the years. I think now I'm more concerned with what what's going to help in the environment now, like with what we're doing. So the, our, our strength coach, uh, Pete Gorka, and I were talking recently and um, we're looking at a lot of our testing data and, and how can we make it more efficient and how can we you know, look at things better. And, um, there's a really great course, um, through Matt Jordan 
uh, on force plates and things like that. And he brought, and he brought it to my attention and said, Hey, I think we should look at this. Like there are other people in the league and other sports and stuff that have told me it's a really great. And I just, I looked at it and said, yeah, let's, let's do it. You know, after it's like, this is something that we're working on now and we can learn from it and we can continue to make this process better. So let's do it now. Um, and so I think that's the first part is what, what can help you right in this, in this moment. And then the second is what are you interested in for your future? Right. Cause you know, we're always thinking about that. And for me, um, I'm actually starting the, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the FSI, the football science Institute, they have a master strength conditioning course. And I, I'm kind of just going, I decided to go through that just to go through it, see if I can pick up some stuff because it's obviously very European based. Um, and also I'm interested in potentially having an intern from there come over. And so I just decided I was going to do it myself to go through some things. Um, but in looking down the line, as far as how can, how can I better myself? Um, and then even further down the line, one of the things I'm looking at is, you know, some like organizational leadership type of things um, that are not in football whatsoever. Right. But it's more as a head of performance and then who knows where it goes from here, but like, how can I manage people better? you know, learning to manage, learning to, you know, make sure that the tree underneath me and our organization is, is being run really well and efficiently. People enjoy being here. They want to be here. You know, what are the different types of leadership that I can um, provide in different areas of the club and roles? Um, and then how can I also help to build future leaders within this club? And so I think that's, that's another Thing that I kind of have in the back of my mind that in the future I'm going to be kind of taking some courses in that. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go the whole PhD route like Dave Tenney did, but uh, you know, it's it's definitely something in the back of my mind of like, okay, that's kind of the next step beyond just being a, a really good practitioner and, and the head of performance. But now that I'm overseeing a lot of stuff with the club, it's making me realize that like, you know, I need to be thinking even bigger and more broader and outside the scope of just you know, the general practitioner and, and all the little nitty gritty things that, that we get, you know, um, the minutia that we can get involved in on a day-to-day -day basis. Adam, that's been brilliant, mate. Thank you very much for coming back on. It's great to catch up and see the sort of transition in roles, but also everything that's going on at the current club as well. It's exciting times. So just finish us off with, if people want to reach out, they want a conversation, where would you direct them? Yeah, no, I, I mean, first off, thanks again for having me. This was, this was great. Uh, it was really enjoyable. Um, I love listening to the pod uh, on a regular basis. So it's always fun being on here. But as, if people want to reach out to me, uh, there's two places that I always suggest. Um, the first is LinkedIn. Um, I'm usually pretty active on there. I don't post a bunch on there, but I'm usually pretty active as far as responding to uh, messages and things like that. I think uh, it's really easy for me to, to jump on and, and have conversations with people, whether you're a young new practitioner or somebody who's been around a long time and wants to, you know, have conversation about whatever you want. Uh, I'm usually pretty, pretty open on there. And then the other one is Instagram. Um, my handle is at a par fitness and it's same thing. I'm usually pretty easy to get a hold of on there. Um, obviously during the season on either one, it might take me a few days to get back to you because we're in the throes of, you know, a lot of fixtures, especially right now, but um, those are the two areas that you can you can find me on. I'm not on Twitter at all, um, and their email is, is hit or miss, so I'd suggest those two. Brilliant, mate. Well, Adam, thank you very much for coming back on, mate, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Awesome. Thank you. Now, I don't know about you, but I took loads from this chat with Adam. I've got a big list of takeaways, so I'm going to try and run through the fair amount of these. And um, Just before I do, just make sure you go and give him a follow over on Instagram, Fitness, and you can also connect with him over on LinkedIn. In terms of takeaways on this one, um, he had lots of different experiences at lots of different clubs, and I think he'll tell you in, from himself that a lot of those experiences, they could be good, bad, or different. A lot of them will guide his practice and uh, be very valuable in the long run. So he's obviously picked up, we talked with Dave Carolan just a few episodes ago about experiences versus experience, and I'm sure he's got both from, from a lot of the roles that he's done so far. Taking advantage of opportunities as well. Adam told the story at the start where um, he was in positions where he might have had to wear many different hats, not all linked with sports science a lot of the time, but they're the times where you've got to sort of show up, you've got to turn up, you've got to roll your sleeves up, get stuck in, and you never know what opportunities are going to be around the corner from you showing that work ethic. 
tying in with that, proving your worth. So as coaches, we talk a lot about the opportunities that are out there. We talk about salary and a lot of it, we can come back to actually proving how valuable we are as a practitioner and support staff. And I think that a lot of that comes across in what Adam's done and continues to do in his role now as well. Educating coaches on the importance of the physical side was another part of it. So something that Adam spoke about going into this current role, talking about talking in their language essentially about the demands of the league, the demands of the travel, not just in talking like what we would um, discuss in terms of SNC or sports science about getting players more powerful in the gym, improving um, velocity or whatever we're going to discuss. We need to make it relevant to the coaches that we're talking to. So speaking about schedules, keep keeping about talking about keeping players ava- available, that's all language that coaches will use. And leading into that again, getting small victories. So little wins with the squads, little wins with coaches, really, really important in terms of um, taking the program forward. And then a big part was the design of the facility. And a big part that I took away from that, which I said to him in the episode, was the flow, the flow of how sessions run. It's really, really important, regardless of whether you've got a big fancy facility or not. If you've literally got a squat rack in a in a container somewhere, it doesn't matter. You still need to be thinking about what the flow is like, where players come in, where they do the warm-up, where they do the main strength work, what they then move on to, what does the flow of the session look like, where the player's going to gather. It's all really important in terms of space and design of facilities. And also the fact that he wanted experience within the academy. So when he was hiring for the academy, he wanted experience. It's a really, really important thing. Something that we've talked about in our um, community WhatsApp group recently is that importance of having coaches that are more, essentially, I don't mean more qualified in terms of actual qualifications, but just in terms of them as a coach, they're more um, adaptive to academy settings and working with academy players. It's their strong point. So that was something that he wanted, someone with experience, someone with a passion for working with players at that level. So there's some of the takeaways I took away. I've I've just whittled through them quite quickly because I I thought I took quite a lot from this episode. I really enjoyed the chat with Adam and it absolutely flew by. I'm sure you did as well. So please, as always, give it a share. Post it on socials. Give it a share with whoever you think will benefit from it, especially if anyone's got any design and facilities coming up. This would definitely be beneficial for them. Um, And also let us know what you took from the episode as well. Um, I really would appreciate it. Just before I go, make sure you go and show a bit of love to our sponsors. They're doing amazing work. The Good Prep, the Food Prep Delivery Service, anyone looking for that as an individual or anyone looking to get some support for the teams going into next season as well, make sure you check them out. Hytro, doing some brilliant work in terms of recovery with BFR, um, but also all the different training methods and protocols that can, can be used with BFR and their equipment is second to none. And Rezzle, make sure you go and check Rezzle out as well, doing some absolutely sensational work in the world of VR. Loads of teams getting involved with Rezzle as well, at Rezzle over on socials. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors. And thanks to you as well for listening and for Adam for freeing up time and coming on the podcast. And I'll speak to you again next week. <laughs>